about a year after I was ordained into the ministry, an older man who was aware of my sparkly new vocation asked me this question, and I quote, so tell me, what kind of buffoon thinks anyone wants to listen while he stands in the pulpit and preaches at them for 30 minutes? (laughs) Wow, welcome to my world. Now, this man is a believer in Christ. He he attends his church every week, but he immediately leaves after the quote-unquote praise and worship. He never stays for the sermon. He didn't stay for my answer either. He really didn't want an answer. I think he just wanted to encourage me as, as I got started. Preacher equals buffoon, Buffoon equals a ridiculous but amusing person, and preaching itself is sheer buffoonery. Preaching often gets a a bad rap. The pulpit, this place, has often been referred to as the coward's castle, as we hide here. Or six feet above contradiction. They've never been to our church because it's a lot further than six feet Or, as the friend suggested, a place where you're preached at instead of to. What does entitle a preacher to a monologue? Why do I get to take up all the verbal space, especially since some of you, or many of you, or perhaps all of you, are significantly smarter than I am? What kind of buffoon am I? Don't answer. But listen, I have to answer those questions myself, all of them. And then you add to the fact that we live in a sound bite TED Talk world, a visually stimulated CGI culture. And so I struggle, I I do, thinking, Lord, really? Preaching? Don't you think this is a little antiquated? Surely the day for this has passed. Maybe we should rethink this thing a little. And those seem like logical and reasonable questions to ask in 2021. But they're logical and reasonable only if God did not see this coming. Only if our culture, unique among all cultures as we believe ourselves to be that ever existed, if our culture somehow took God by surprise. Moving pictures, says God. I didn't see that coming. Preaching will never be effective now. Little boxes with picture tubes in them and people moving around. I never saw that coming. Preaching will never be effective now. Or little rectangle things that you can hold in your hand and and see and know everything. I, I didn't see that coming. Or did he? Of course he did. Our God is a sovereign God. He always knows what's coming. And he always knows what he's doing. And guess what? Guess what scripture tells us? The foolishness of God, if there were any at all, and there's not, but if there were, the foolishness of God would be wiser than the, the most wise person in this world. The weakness of God, were he to be weak in any way, and he's not, but his weakness would be stronger than the strength of men. That's our God. And by his design, 
And by his ordination, the preaching of the word of God has always been and ever will be a gift of God's grace to his people. Therefore, you and I must be devotedly attentive to the preaching of the word of God. So I want to talk about this morning as we return once again to Acts chapter 2. So I invite you to take your Bibles now if you have one. If not, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you, or the passage is also printed in your bulletin. When you have your eyes on Acts chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, this is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that now in it and through it, by the power of your spirit, we might see Jesus. For We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here we are at week seven in our study of the means of grace through six sermons so far. We have seen how the early believers, these Acts 2 believers, devoted themselves to the means of grace, to the word of God, to the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and to the prayers. Because by faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, these means of grace took them as they take us to Jesus, so that they and we might see Jesus, so that we may glory in Jesus, so that the goal of our lives might be to bring more glory to him. We've spent weeks now talking about how by God's design we are to experience these means of grace in corporate worship together as a body. The fellowship of believers, as you heard in the passage over and over of their fellowship. Because after six days in this world, week by week, it's easy for our hearts to begin to love lesser things than Christ. Wrong things. Things that are even bad for us. I'm going to repeat again that great quote that summarized the thought of Philip Melanchthon that, that I said to you last Sunday. He was Martin Luther's sidekick. He says, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And so corporate worship, what we're doing now, over and over and over again, week by week by week, 
around the means of grace helps our hearts, your heart and my heart, to love right things, or better said, to love the right one, the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to look at one specific means of grace that engages our minds and our hearts and and prayerfully helps us love the Lord Jesus more and more, and that is the preaching of the Word of God. Look in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what did the apostles teach? The apostles taught the Word of God, but specifically, they talked about how Jesus, the living Word of God, became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and fulfilled all the Word of God. The Apostle John, I love it. He writes in verse 1 of chapter 1 of his first letter. He writes this about Jesus. We heard him. We saw him. We touched him with our hands. We proclaim him to you. We preach Christ to you. We proclaim him so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Christ. Their testimony, their teaching, which by the testimony of Scripture took the form of preaching centered on Christ. So I don't know what you think about preaching right now in this particular moment, what your attitude might be toward it, but but know this. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 16. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The preaching of Jesus Christ strengthens your soul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you, believers. And then 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says, My speech, my message, were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Somehow, through those who preach, God speaks His Word to His people. Now, having said that, I know that all of us are aware of the realities of some contemporary preaching. One author who wrote a book on the topic of preaching describes it this way. Preaching is being replaced with performance, exposition with entertainment, doctrine with drama, and theology with theatrics. Some of you might remember the shock jock pastors from about a decade or so ago that enamored so many believers because they brought their crass language and their crass illustrations into the pulpit, thereby trying to be real in front of the people and and connect and be relevant. Celebrity pulpits have altered the landscape a biblical preaching. By the way, I am not a celebrity preacher. 
I, I'm not. No, really. I'm not a celebrity preacher. <laughs> Didn't nobody tell you before you came? People tend to evaluate the preacher now, asking, how did the preacher do today? When instead the question should be, how did the word of God do today? How did it fulfill its promise not to return to the Lord empty? How did Christ fill up the word today? How did the sword of the word of God do its work? Where did it cut? What did it expose? The kind of preaching I'm talking about this morning and that which is referred to in Scripture has Christ at its center and his glory as its goal. The kind of preaching I'm talking about this morning, biblical preaching has Christ at its center and his glory as its goal. Now I'm going to turn this uh, away from a monologue and make it a dialogue. You ready? I want you to say Christ as its center and his glory as its goal. Can you do that? Christ as its center and his glory as its goal. Now I'm going to ask you this. What's the purpose of biblical preaching? It has Christ at its center and his glory as its goal. Never forget that. The kind of preaching I'm talking about, it humbles the one who's preaching and causes more than a little trepidation. It does. In me, anyway, again, to quote the Apostle Paul, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God appealing through the preacher. Martin Luther said, To preach the gospel is nothing less than Christ's coming to us or bringing us to him. Similarly, the late J.I. Packer writes, Preaching is of the very essence of the corporate phenomenon called Christianity. The preaching of God's word in the power of God's spirit is the activity that brings the Father and the Son down from heaven to dwell with men. Listen, this is not buffoonery. The larger catechism of the Westminster Confession, asks and answers this question. How is the word made effectual to salvation? And the answer is, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith and to salvation. Did you catch that? You can say no because I'm going to read it again. Ten goals of biblical Preaching, one, preaching is a means to enlighten us. Two, preaching is a means to convince us. Three, preaching is a means to humble us. Four, preaching is a means to drive us out of ourselves. 
Five, it's a means to draw us to Christ. Six, it's a means to conform us to the image of Christ. Seven, it's a means to subdue our wills. Eight, it's a means to strengthen us against temptations and corruptions. Nine, it's a means to build us up in grace. And ten, it's a means to establish our hearts in holiness and comfort through faith. I need all of those things, all ten of them. Do you? All of them. So you see why preaching is such a means of grace to us. Because these are the beautiful things, the very needed and necessary things that God accomplishes accomplishes in each of us through the preaching of his word. And that's why this pulpit belongs to Christ. It's his. He's the one who has to reign here. This is not a political platform. This is not a place for over-psychologized self-help or steps to a better you. It's not a place to rehearse over and over and over again ad nauseum the narrative of the never-ending news cycle. Now I'm aware that I cause frustration in some, because I won't preach the news cycle, but I ask myself this, why should I? Why should I let the broken political agendas of the the world determine what I preach? Why should I be constantly beholding week by week to addressing their all too often idiocy of the world? Well, some may answer, Believers need to know how it is we ought to live in this world. Believers need to know how it is we ought to think in this world. Believers need to know how it is we should respond to this world. Fair enough. We need to know those things. But the pulpit can't be controlled or compelled by these things. Listen, this is our time, your time, and my time to come away from the world's narrative and to hear God's narrative through God's word. I love the lyrics to the song that we sing so often. This is a place right now to be still and know that he is God. This is our time to bow before the Prince of Peace, to let the noise and clamor cease. It's a time for us to be still and know that he's faithful, to consider all that he has done, to stand in awe and be amazed and know that he will never change. This is our time to be still, to be silent. Again, I'll say to you, every bit of the teacher in me, which is what I was trained to be, it it rebels against or at least always questions preaching just a little. Because preaching isn't hands-on. Preaching isn't interactive. And so here am I, a nationally certified in-trust trainer, 
The guy who loves to teach people how to write good questions, to stimulate good conversation. And here I stand in the pulpit and I do all the talking. It's not my way. It's God's way. And God's way is the best way. And God knows there is a need for people to be silent, to listen, to receive, to not be thinking about the next thing that you want to say. I think of the Lord Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I wonder if the Lord Jesus on the cross was listening to a sermon from his father in his ear that helped him to remain silent. This is not the time to speak, though he could have spoken. It's not the time to justify, though he could have done that. It was not the time to proclaim this is a travesty of justice, though his crucifixion was certainly that. It was a time for Jesus to silently receive, receive the will of the Father for him. That will to which he had agreed with the Father and with the Son in all eternity past. It wasn't time for him to speak out against the will of his Father. It wasn't time for him to to call out to change that plan. It was a time for silence, to receive all that the Father had for him, to receive the punishment that so rightly belonged to us. It was a time for him who knew no sin to become sin for us, silently so. And so at least in this way, preaching reminds us of the the need for, for silent receiving, to listen with all and what God declares to be true. And God declares to be true what, what's not true. Here's what's true. You and I, we are guilty sinners. Do you believe that? We are. We're guilty sinners. That's true. But when we turn in faith to Christ, what's true is no true, is, is true no longer because God imputes our sin to Jesus. And he imputes Jesus' righteousness to us. And he declares that we're not guilty. And we only know that because God tells us it's true. In his word, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You cannot intuit that. I cannot intuit that. God has to declare it to us to be true in his word. And that's what preaching is about. It's holding forth these truths and many other truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, declaring them to be true so that you and I can see them collectively. You all know that I raised five children. I raised five children with a little help from Kathy. But I'm telling you, there, there's nothing like the excitement of a child in wonder. I can't wait to see it again with my grandchildren. 
to hold their hand and look out at something amazing. I don't care if you're looking out over a spectacular view of the mountains or watching a lightning storm at the beach or 4th of July fireworks. But to hear them say, look, Pop, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. No, Pop, 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 look over there. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see it. No, 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 Pop, 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 look, look, look. Yes, I'm looking, I'm looking, I see. That's preaching, that's preaching to me. I say with wonder, and I say with excitement, look. Look at the glories of Christ. And you respond, yes, yes, we see, we're looking. I say, no, but look, look, look at this glory of Christ. Do you see it? And you respond, yes, yes, we see. So my job here is to to hold forth the glories of Christ for us to see and rejoice and wonder at together. Preaching is not about how to. Preaching is about who is. And I wish, not for my sake, but for Jesus' sake, that I could do it a lot better. You know, I'm sinful and fallible, and I misspeak, and I communicate things that I don't ever intend to communicate from which you may draw unintended application. But the good news is that God has been working through imperfection since the Garden of Eden. It's the medium in which God works when he works in this world. Broken things and broken people. And so how we praise God for his spirit. Undertakes on our behalf so that we hear God speaking to us when his word is preached. Comforting us. Encouraging us but also rebuking us, exposing us, cutting our souls so that we run to the arms of Jesus and we place our faith in him and we rest in him alone as our only hope. May that be the longing of our hearts from the preaching of the word of God to hear his voice speak to us. And may the demand of our lips, the demand of your lips, In my lips, for the preached word of God, be always, always, always the same as those who came to the apostle Peter and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, that's our prayer. Today and always, that as we gather for worship, for all of it, praying, the singing, the preaching, that we would see you, Lord Jesus, in all your beauty, in all your glory, in all your splendor. And having seen you, that we might become one degree to the next, a little more like you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.